It's a saying that dates back centuries. The chain is only as strong as the weakest link. That's the one. Thanks, Grace. And although Thomas Reed wasn't referring to supply chains when he put pen to paper way back in 1786, it's a perfect way to describe the stresses and successes we've seen over the last two years as the modern maritime industry was forced to adapt in real time to a global pandemic that disrupted operations on an unprecedented scale. Well, the pandemic, of course, has had, this is an understatement, a huge impact on the transportation of goods, shipping and the like. What is the state, as things stand, of these global supply chains? Why are there still problems? What we're seeing are companies placing a lot of panic orders. All because of the global supply chain crisis that's happening right now. It's an economic fall. And the slowdown the caused by the initial wave of lockdowns to a subsequent spike in demand that no one saw coming Getting goods and commodities where they needed to go required a level of agility, collaboration, and resilience the world hadn't seen before. We weren't just dealing with one bottleneck, we were dealing with a whole slew of them. A complicated series of shutdowns, struggles, and surges that continue to change the way business is conducted. Welcome to season two of Breaking Bottlenecks, a special insiders podcast series brought to you by the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. I'm your host, author and historian Aaron Chapman. Over the next several episodes, we're going to explore the complex forces of global trade through the lens of Canada's largest port and its partners, with a particular focus on something that has caused a ripple effect right across the globe, the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll discuss where we are right now and how we got here. We'll also talk about the lessons learned from this extraordinary challenge so far and find out how a renewed focus on resilience could help the entire global shipping business be better prepared for the next crisis that comes along. The past couple of years have been a real struggle for everyone. The highs and lows we all experienced were even more acute for folks in the shipping world. I mean, we all saw plenty of news reports about stock shortages and people panic buying toilet paper, but those in the shipping and logistics industry know that the issues that led to those shortages stretch all the way from ship to shelf. If you think of the global supply chain like a still pristine pond, then the pandemic was a big stone that was dropped right into the middle of it. We're still feeling the ripple effects today, from furloughed workers and congested ports to the well-publicized shortage of shipping containers. The stability of the global supply chain has been severely tested. But the good news is that the port and its partners have been able to adapt and perform effectively, even under all that pressure. It's been quite a remarkable journey, uh, a really a roller coaster for many, many people. And we we're, we're certainly understand that uh, from a supply chain perspective in the Port of Vancouver, though, has, has been uh, quite a remarkable story of resilience. That's Peter Exotta, the Vice President of Operations and Supply Chain at the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority, who you may recall we spoke with several times back in season one. Obviously, a lot has changed since then. We're going to hear more from Peter over the course of the next several episodes. But I'm also excited to introduce to you some new voices. Hello, uh, I'm Raymond Tsang. I'm the uh, Vice President and Head of Ocean Product for DP Schenker Canada. It's uh, Dan Breslin. I am Vice President of Intermodal Sales and Marketing at CN Rail. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm Grace Liang, the President of OOCL Canada, Inc. Before we hear more from the port's partners and customers, I want to catch up a bit with Peter so he can give us the big picture perspective and set the stage for the conversations to come. Peter, welcome back to Breaking Bottlenecks. It's good to connect with you again. Yeah, nice to see you, Aaron. So, Peter, we're calling season two the resilient port, and that seems pretty appropriate given everything you've been through over the last 24 months or so. 
But looking at where things stand today, how would you characterize the current state of the shipping industry, the global supply chain, and the port in particular? Well, I mean, certainly from the perspective of just the term supply chain, you can see given uh, what's going on globally is something that's much more uh, top of mind for folks who wouldn't normally be spending much time considering supply chains. From a North American perspective, uh, a big part of our integrated supply chain is products coming from Asia, both up and down the West Coast of North America. In that context, Vancouver uh, and the Port of Vancouver has had uh, some challenges, both with weather-related events. But through the pandemic, there have been uh, shocks to our economy following the initial outcomes of the decline in economic activity was a very strong resurgence as people took their consumer dollars and discretionary spending and turned it towards hard goods rather than travel. Absolutely. People put all that cash from canceled trips into products and technology that made it easier to hunker down at home. So, Peter, what impact did that change have on your operations and those of your partners? Maybe just to characterize and provide a little bit of context for listeners, the Canadian supply chain has been a success story for quite a number of years. The combination of port facilities, the terminal operators, and the Canadian railways have really done a a great job of supplying transportation services to Canadian consumers and to some extent using those supply chains as an alternative to some goods moving into the United States from uh, from Asia, as a, again, as an alternative to the primary route into those markets through U.S. ports. So, of course, the pandemic began, and I think the immediate reaction from a lot of folks was perhaps a, an overreaction, you know, shutting things down, expecting that the economy would really suffer a downturn. And that uh, results from a supply chain perspective and something that's commonly referred to as the bullwhip effect, which is essentially a, for example, a 5% reduction in in demand might lead to a reduction in manufacturing or transportation services that exceeds that because people are are trying to respond to market signals that are are quite acute and that are unpredictable. We were indeed getting mixed messages from the market there for a while. What happened next? Of course, several months later, this phenomenon of, uh, of hard goods purchasing began and people realized we collectively overshot on the downside. And so then manufacturing tries to ramp up uh, when China started to transition out of COVID and started to resume its major uh, manufacturing activity. There was a clamor in demand for productive capacity for all manner of goods. Some of those goods are still in short supply, as we know, with uh, with vehicles and other products. That volatility, of course, at that scale at least, is not something that most supply chains are accustomed to experiencing on a global scale. Obviously, some disruptions happen in a very isolated part of the global supply chain. This phenomenon, this pandemic phenomenon, uh, as it relates to supply chains, is something that is really quite astounding, remarkable, and unprecedented in a global sense. We'll come back to Peter later, but first I wanted to follow up on what he said about the critical role that Canadian railways played in keeping goods moving during the early days of the pandemic. So I reached out to Dan Bresler, the Vice President of Intermodal Sales and Marketing at CN Rail, and he agreed to sit down and share his experiences during a visit to the port's office in Vancouver. Dan, thanks for making some time for me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Dan, we're calling this episode the stress test, but in talking about some of the effects of the pandemic, we're really talking about multiple stresses, a perfect storm of challenges, if you will. Could you take us through the timeline and talk about some of the specific obstacles you've had to overcome? I think there isn't a part of the supply chain that hasn't been tested here in the last uh, 12 to 18 months. 
You know, initially the stress test was on ourselves, making sure that we managed the railroad properly through the dip in the pandemic when the volumes went really south. And then the stress was on how fast we could bring workers back. You know, these are highly skilled positions, you know, an engineer, if an engineer is off two to three months, they need to get training runs back in. You need to refamiliarize yourself. So trying to get the people back, the assets back, as the freight was was coming on left and right, every port was full. So we ran into some major dwell issues here at the port with cargo that was transiting and trying to get into the inland markets. And then we saw that the volumes taper off because we we kind of fell victim to the global supply chain. You know, a high percentage of these vessels that call here in Vancouver do call the congested ports in Asia, do leave here and, and either go to, to Seattle or Long Beach where there is also congestion. You know, we're seeing because there's that more local content, we're seeing more demand locally to get boxes back to ports. We're seeing more demand for boxes to be returned to CY container yards here in, in Vancouver, and they are at capacity. So it's it's been a real stress responding to the challenges of the supply chain for everyone, whether it's the port operator, the rail, the trucking community, the people that own warehouses here in Vancouver, people running transloads, getting equipment, everybody is feeling this. We're going to dig deeper into the situation involving containers in the next episode, Dad. But if I can ask you to think back a little further, I'd love to hear how the initial lockdowns in March of 2020 affected your operations. We all know the trains don't stop in a hurry. How tough was it to pump the brakes? What was involved in that process? Yeah, well, you 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 run a package that runs your volume and the, the volume that you forecasted. And I can honestly say that the previous year in uh, October, November, when we finalize our forecasts, we did not see a pandemic coming. So, so you have the assets, you have the people, you have the, the locomotives, the rail cars, and then you watch this, this 20% drop in volume and you've got to find a place to park all those assets. It's not like you can just go into a parking lot. You need to have rail capacity to park the assets. And then at the same time, you, you, you need to adjust your labor force to meet your demand. So, I mean, really, it was, it was the shock of how big this is really going to be, uh, how deep it was going to go, and, and every day being a new day, not knowing where the bottom is. Our team did a great job. The, the CN leadership was very clear. There's things you can't control, and we have to do the best we can with what we've got. And we relied a lot on our, our customers to forecast, tell us, and, you know, I mean, they were kind of in the same boat as we were. They didn't know where this was, was going to go. So I can't put it on anyone. I think the, the thing that really hit us was the factories in Asia were coming out of the pandemic as we were getting deeper into it. You know, the manufacturing took off and it needed a ship to move it. And we were still in pretty much lockdown. And so it was, it was very, very tough coming from behind to meet the demand that was coming at us, you know, when everything was the way it was. And so that's, that's how I see it. I, you know, I imagine someone from our operating team would look at it in, in a different lens. To me, it's more from the market side. We all know the market can be unpredictable at the best of times, but the rubber band effect we experienced in the second half of 2020 was just wild. Momentum started to rebuild for retailers and porters as consumers here at home snapped up things like electronics, furniture, even bicycles. The rest of the global supply chain was still paused. Dan, you mentioned parked cars and furloughed workers. How tough was it to go from a standstill to a flat-out sprint? So I, I, uh, I talked about this a lot last year 
I haven't talked about it a lot because I'm we're kind of in a new in a new phase now, and I sometimes you don't want to look back. But when I look back on it, you know, I remember over the months of July, August, I remember you know one of the things that we saw in our forecast during the pandemic were blank vessels, and so we would get a notification that a vessel, this vessel, is just not going to come. Okay, this week it's just not going to be there, and I remember over the period of of two months going from a place where we had 10 to 12 blank vessels in the schedule to a month later, not only having the full complement, but having anywhere between five and 10 extra loader vessels that are just not part of the string, but just having to move the demand. I mean, that's that's the extent to which we went from being way under forecast to way over forecast. And, and it was literally 45 to 60 days. That is certainly a scramble. We'll catch up with Dan again later. But since he mentioned ocean carriers, I figured this would be a perfect time to hear from one of them directly. OOCL is an international shipping and logistics company headquartered in Hong Kong, with more than 10,000 employees and 119 vessels operating in 90 countries around the world. Grace Liang is president of OOCL Canada and was kind enough to speak with me remotely from her office in Toronto. First, I asked for her take on the surge of online orders we saw drive up demand in the back half of 2020. It's quite interesting, I'm pretty sure you agree with me, that the consumer's behavior has changed quite a bit, you know, during the pandemic. They have switched from spending on services you know, to consumer goods, you know, because everybody's stopped working from home. And then you see that people actually, they engage in home renovations, uh, they bought more food, they buy more at home, and also school supplies, particularly when your kids work from home, and certainly quite a bit of technology products. Therefore, the demand has skyrocketed and far exceeded the capacity to supply uh, that's available in the market. However, with more and more countries, governments, and industry easing the restrictions or or even removing the restrictions, then, you know, you see that as the ocean carrier and high industry is coping with a pent-up demand. And actually, also more importantly, the backlog of orders that needed to be shipped. We therefore have witnessed and experienced an increase in demand, which is totally unplanned. It's so difficult for the industry to accommodate. And I think you, you understand that in the, you know, because in the increase of demand, you can see that in the, in the summer 2020, because of that, we suddenly have to take a big turn. Then, so, you know, we have to have the container ships ready, not just ourselves, it's also the service providers. We have to very quickly pivot from, you know, ramping down all these capacities to try to re- on a reverse course. And then we have to bring all the capacity back, which is extremely, extremely challenging and difficult. The world is so intertwined across the entire transport cycle. That's why, you know, if there's any little hiccup in any one sector, it literally can send shockwaves to the others. And, you know, it will have enormous amount of effect into delivery time of the goods. That's why when it comes to, we go back to the technology the increased digitization of the supply chain overall is a major priority moving forward because all the stakeholders in our industry, in the supply chain, we have to extract more values from all the data being flowed through the entire chain, you know, on a daily basis. We talk about visibility, but then we also talk about the transparency and the communication. All the channels, all the stakeholders are extremely crucial. Ah, yes. Visibility, transparency, and communication. 
they may well be the silver lining to the dark clouds that have loomed large over the shipping sector in the past two years. What's more, the industry's ability to analyze, share, and learn from the data is only going to keep getting better. Coming up after a quick break, we'll talk more about the lessons being learned over the course of the pandemic. You are listening to Breaking Bottlenecks Season 2, The Resilient Port, a special insider's podcast series brought to you by the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority. I'm your host, Aaron Chapman. It's no secret the global supply chain has been severely tested over the past few years, but we are shining a spotlight on the ingenuity, agility, and yes, resilience displayed by Canada's largest port and its partners in the face of that incredible adversity. Check out the show notes to learn more about any of the guests featured on this episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You've probably heard the old chestnut, pearls are formed through irritation, right? Well, it's true, and it seems especially appropriate given we're talking about a mostly maritime industry. As for irritants, well, they don't get much more significant than the ones the global supply chain has experienced over the past two years. According to Grace Liang from OOCL Canada, that perfect storm of challenges, or bevy of bottlenecks, ended up yielding many valuable pearls of wisdom. Now the industry just needs to get better at applying those lessons. What we learned from the pandemic that comes to mind, you know, because the pandemic unquestionably has uh, exposed a lot of weaknesses in the supply chain and also has offered valuable experiences to, to many of us or the partners here. Number one, we need to further expand the infrastructure investment. Then, of course, there's a lot to do with the government, of course, also the private sector. Number two, we need to improve the productivity at the container terminals. I'm pretty sure you heard about congestions, you know, container ships bursting outside, idling at the port, you know, anchoring outside. And this is particularly serious in the Long Beach LA area. Now, the other area that I think we need to, to look at is when it comes to ocean carriers, we need to build adequate vessel capacity and to accommodate any kind of unplanned, unexpected demand. We also need to reinforce schedule integrity. This has been well covered by the media. And, and last but not least, I think the most important for all to learn is to foster a healthy work environment. This is a big lesson learned by everybody from the pandemic. Back on the rail side, Dan Breslin from CN agrees. He says there's no going back to the old way of doing business. I think the world's going to change because of what's happened. There needs to be more opportunities to control the freight up the supply chain, the development of logistics facilities in and around Vancouver. We need more of them. The transloading or the, you know, the logistics here in Vancouver will only grow. The amount of boxes that will be transloaded, I think, will change. And I think it's more that the beneficial cargo owners are going to want to take freight at the port more and, and control their own destiny from a domestic supply chain. And I think that's here to stay. And down at the port of Vancouver, Peter Exada says the ingenuity and collaboration we've witnessed over the past 24 months are proof that the port's long-term approach is paying off. Well, it, it reinforces thematically some things that we've known for a while and that we have turned our attention to. One is the investments that the port has made in transparency and visibility, those aid in that collaboration that you just mentioned. But it's a theme that has been carrying through our activities for at least a decade, if not longer. The point is, when you have a challenge unfolding, often the first question is what's going on, as opposed to what are we going to do about it? 
The second question often is whose fault is it rather than what are we going to do about it? By starting with a really good foundation of data sharing and collaboration, you get to what are we going to do about it much sooner in the conversation. And that I think has served us particularly well over the last two years. The work that the port has done with respect to planning for future infrastructure is in in some cases the source of that data. So for example, we do rail modeling of the lower mainland rail network and try to anticipate where the next issue is going to be as opposed to looking in the rearview mirror at where the problems have been. We're trying to look forward to say, given the future that we understand is unfolding, what are the improvements that we can put in place to give ourselves that resiliency or protect ourselves from shocks to the system? It's not always possible to build a level of resiliency and redundancy in a system that one might like to have for shocks like this. And that's why it's always a combination of flexibility and adaptation to things that occur. There's that word again, resiliency, and rightly so. If there's one thing I've learned from talking to folks down here at the port and other people who work the trains, the trucks, the ships, and the offices that make up the global supply chain, it's that they're a resilient bunch. Thank goodness for that, because without that quality, I suspect things could have been a lot worse for consumers and the economy in general over the past couple of years. Well, folks, that's it for episode one. Join us again next time, where we're going to take a closer look at the record surge in container shipping sparked by the pandemic to learn how the Port of Vancouver and its partners navigated those uncharted waters. We'll also cast our eyes forward to what the future may hold for container shipping in Canada and beyond. Please follow Breaking Bottlenecks wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about the port's operations, you can always visit portvancouver.com. I'm Aaron Chapman. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.